Welcome to the Hills, all of you that are watching online, all of you watching me at uh, West Fort Worth and South Lake Campus. A lot of fun things have been going on during this Christmas season. So right here at the stage at North Richmond Hills uh, last Sunday night, the cute angel quotient was off the chart as we had our uh, annual kids Christmas pageant. It was amazing. And so many of you volunteered to bless our children from all three campuses. So I want to say thank you for that. And then I want to give a shout out to South Lake and West Fort Worth. Yesterday, on both of their campuses, they had breakfast with Santa. Took over 150 volunteers, giving up a big part of their Saturday. But over 1,000 people came, and over 70% of them were guests from our community. So could we give a little love to West Fort Worth and South Lake right now from North Richmond Hills? I want to thank you for what you did. Uh, and, of course, I'm excited about our Christmas Eve services this year. It's a little different because Christmas Eve is on Sunday. So we're going to have our Sunday morning services, but a lot of you are like me. I like my Christmas Eve service in the evening. I like to light my candle and walk out and it's dark. So we're going to have at every campus the night before on the 23rd, the same service with communion and the same message. And it's going to be awesome. So bring a friend and be excited about that. And then finally, At every campus, you've noticed we've set up these photo ops with these funny Christmas props. And we want you to get your picture made, and we'd like to put them on our church Facebook page. So this last Tuesday, we had a staff Devo, and they wanted the staff to get their pictures made. I thought, that's cool. Then I showed up, and they had all these goofy props like elf ears and reindeer antlers. And let's just face it, you know me, I don't have the goofy gene. So everybody's out there looking silly, and I'm just staying back. And then they cheated, and they used kryptonite on me, and sent Miss Patty to ask me to take a silly picture. And I can't say no to Miss Patty, so I had a couple of silly pictures taken too. But it was a lot of fun, and the truth of the matter is, there's something very appropriate about foolishness and Christmas. Because Christmas has always involved a lot of foolishness. And most of it's harmless. You know, flying reindeer and uh, elves at the North Pole and a big jolly guy coming down your chimney in the middle of the night. Well, actually, that's just a little creepy, but still, it's pretty harmless overall. Some of the foolishness of Christmas is not so harmless, like believing we can drink or we can buy our way into being more happy. But foolishness has always been a part of Christmas. Here's a reason why. Because the very first Christmas story involved a lot of perceived foolishness. So, in this series, Christmas Reframed, we're contending that the Christmas story gives us a new way to look at everything. Including wisdom. Because Christmas asked the question, who really is the true wise man? Because isn't it true that wise people often look or appear foolish? Through history, our greatest thinkers, innovators, artists, and leaders were often considered crazy in their day. People who had breakthroughs in uh, music or dance or economic theory or political governance, uh, or science and medicine, were often thought at the time to be off their rockers. 
Well, you see, we've read the Christmas story so many times. I think sometimes we're so familiar with it, we don't realize that every main character in the Christmas story was considered foolish by their contemporaries. You take Mary, who tried to tell her girlfriends that she was pregnant, but she was still a virgin. Now, I heard some millennial girls the other day say, cray cray. And I thought, what does that mean? So I got online, looked up at the slang dictionary, and here's what I learned. Cray-cray is when you're not just crazy, you're way past crazy. You are crazy on steroids, okay? So when Mary told her girlfriend she was pregnant, but if she was still a virgin, and she walked away, they all got on their phones and started texting. That girl is (laughs) cray-cray. And then Joseph was given wise counsel by everyone he knew not to marry her. His parents were against it. The rabbi at the synagogue thought it was a bad idea. Everyone on the Nazareth Chamber of Commerce said, it will destroy your career. No one told Joseph it was a good idea. He would be a fool to sink his future because of her mistake. And then you have the shepherds. In that day, shepherds were held in such low Esteem, they weren't allowed to testify in court because everyone knew they weren't trustworthy. So when the shepherds came into town and said, we're just out in the field, and all of a sudden, the angel choir shows up and gave us a concert. Everyone just rolled their eyes and said, see, that's why you don't have shepherds in court. You can't trust them. And then what about the wise men? Because I don't think many people thought they were very wise. Here's a bunch of guys who were going on a trip... And it's going to cost them a year of their life. And a tremendous amount of money. To go to a country where they are despised for their ethnicity and their profession. To do what? To find and worship a baby. No, I I don't think they were called the wise men in their day. You see, but what the Bible is doing is telling this grand story that challenges the wisdom of the world. Because isn't it true that people we think are wise now, we once thought were foolish. And people we think are foolish now, we once thought were wise. You ever heard of Ronald Wayne? You probably haven't. You've probably heard of Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Who, along with Ronald Wayne, 41 years ago, started this little company called Apple. But after a few months, Ronald Wayne didn't think it had a future, so he sold his part of the business, 10%, for $800. And today it'd be worth $70 billion. See, the Bible is calling us to reframe our view of wisdom. That what seems so wise... Right now in the world may actually prove to be foolish. In fact, look at this verse from Paul in 1 Corinthians 3. Do not fool yourselves. If you think you are wise in this world, by the way, isn't that the goal? Isn't that what we're supposed to want to do? Look at what Paul says. If you think you are wise in this world, you should become a fool. 
so that you can become truly wise. Because the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Let me give you an illustration of a woman that realized that. Her name was Jennifer Fulwiler. She was raised in a home not to believe. She was raised intentionally by her parents to believe that faith and religion and the stories of God are for foolish people and not for enlightened people. Her bedtime reading literally was Carl Sagan's Cosmos and other works. And then she had a baby. And here's what she wrote. I looked down and thought, what is this baby? And I thought, well, from pure atheist, materialist perspective, he is a randomly evolved collection of chemical reactions. And I realized if that's true, then all the love that I feel for him is nothing more than chemical reactions in my brain. And I looked down at him and I thought, that's not true. It's not the truth. And looking at her baby led her to faith in God. And what I'm arguing today is that looking at that baby in the manger gives us a whole new way to reframe what real wisdom is. For example, it shows us that real wisdom understands anything is possible with God. Now, conventional wisdom would tell you the Christmas story is kind of like the story about elves on the North Pole. Because conventional wisdom mocks the credibility of the supernatural. Angelic visits, virgin births, moving stars... You see, the enlightened of our age say those kinds of stories and those kinds of miracles are for fools. Earlier this year, though, Taylor and I did a series called But What About where we challenged some of that thinking because I argue everybody's world view is built on the foundation of faith. So if you believe that nothing produced something, If you believe that out of chaos became order, you got a faith system. How do you explain that we live in this closed system where everything has a cause, but you can't explain what caused it? Because everyone ultimately comes down to this. There must be an uncaused causer. I choose to call him God. And if there is an uncaused causer, and there must be, then the belief in miracles is not illogical. In fact, they can happen anytime, anywhere, for anyone. So when the angel says to Mary, you're going to be a virgin, but you are going to have a baby. And, and she said, well, how can this be? He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. Because the angel said, God can do anything. Maybe your version says, nothing is too hard for God. 
You see, Christmas reframes wisdom as the capacity to see God is at work in our world. In ways that we expect, but in ways we didn't expect. In ways that are very ordinary, but also in ways that are completely extraordinary. In ways that are natural, but also in ways that are supernatural. And so, wise people are not afraid to ask God, to pray to God, to attempt for God. Things that would seem impossible. Things that would seem foolish. Now, here's the thing. If I asked you, are you seeing the world through that lens... Do you believe God can do anything? Almost every one of you would hold up your hand. But that's a simple question. Christmas asks a deeper and better question. Not, do you believe God can do anything? But, like Mary, do you believe God can do anything in and through you? Because that's where it gets dicey. You see, I live in a world that mocks the spiritual and the supernatural. And I don't want to appear to be a fool. So how often does that fear abort what God would like to conceive in you and me? And so we we don't pray for healing. Because that would be impossible. And we give up on a marriage because it seemed like there's no hope. And we stop struggling against that sin. We give in to that addiction. We decide that our child is hopeless. And I'm asking you to let the Christmas story reframe how you view What seems impossible. True wisdom acknowledges that my reality is not the end of God's possibility. Because true wisdom acknowledges God's true place. You see, He's on on the throne. Wisdom understands that nothing is sovereign but God. Now, last time we said that Jesus came to be a redeemer, and that is true. But wisdom also understands that when he came, he was already a ruler. Hear what I just said. He didn't come to become a ruler. He was a ruler before he came. Listen to the wise men in Matthew 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Please notice, they did not ask, Where is the kid we came to admire? They asked, Where is the king that we have come to adore? We have come this far to worship a king. You see, Christmas reframes how we picture 
who's in charge. Now, let me tell you, the wisdom of the world is not about to worship a baby. And it's sure not about to surrender and bow down to some poor, crucified Jew. Now, the wisdom of the world says, i tell you who runs the world. The powerful run the world. The beautiful run the world. The successful run the world. That's who you better bow down to if you want a future in this world. And Christmas says, you are looking at it all wrong. So every year at this time, we sing this really revolutionary song. And I'm not even sure we realize how revolutionary the words we sing are. Here's what we sing. Let earth receive her king. We don't sing let earth decide if he can become king. Let earth elect him king. We say let the whole earth Recognize her king. And these are truly radical words. And with all my heart, I believe they are radically true. Wisdom wants to recognize the Herods of the world. It always has, it always will. And these Herods... Tell us we should pledge our allegiance to them with every tweet and every headline and every press conference and every threat. But I'm telling you, Christmas says they are all pretenders. Their tyrannies are short-lived. The earth has a king. And it's foolishness to not recognize him and transfer sovereignty to him. That the coming of Jesus has inaugurated a kingdom. And it is here right now. The wise can see it. This kingdom is not going to be undermined. This kingdom is not going to be overthrown. Here's what wisdom sings. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forevermore you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name. Above all names. And the day is coming when wise and fools are going to bow down and sing that song. And so let me tell you, you're no fool to give unquestioned allegiance to Jesus right now. Because the claim of Christmas is not seasonal. Now, I know in a couple of weeks we're going to put up the bows and the trees and the lights. But you don't put up Jesus. Christmas says He is King. Always has been. Always will be. He is King in December and January and every day, 24-7, in every part of your life. The claim of Christmas is not seasonal, but it is universal. It's for everybody. You see, wisdom understands that everyone is important to God. Christmas gave birth to the most inclusive faith this world has ever seen. Take a look again at the people in the very first Christmas picture. Look at who's in that frame. You've got a genealogy filled with some of the greatest sinners in Israel's history. You've got a poor couple, nobodies from a nowhere town, 
that everyone scorned. You have, you have shepherds that everyone held in contempt. You have people from a faraway land who were looked down on because of their ethnicity. Everybody in that picture was considered a nobody by the wisdom of the day. But as foolish as it may seem, Christmas pictures a God that cares about everybody. The best Christmas verse is still John 3.16. For God so loved the world, the whole world, that He gave His one and only Son, that here's my favorite word in the Bible, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. So, let me retell one of my all-time favorite Christmas illustrations. Back in 1939, Montgomery Ward commissioned an ad exec named Robert May to write a little poem that their store Santa could give to the kids who came to see him. He wrote this little poem, and it became actually quite popular. They gave away several million copies of it. So ten years later, Robert May's brother-in-law said, I'm going to put music to it. And he did. And he happened to know some famous singers like Dinah Shore and Bing Crosby. And would you like to record this little song? And they all said, no. And so got Gene Autry to do it. And that little silly poem became the biggest selling Christmas song of all time. It's about this guy. What is it about Rudolph that tugs at people's hearts? Now, granted, he's a courageous little fellow, pretty uh, feisty, but that's not it. Rudolph is a story of grace. Rudolph was an outsider. Rudolph was turned away. Rudolph was flawed. And then someone that loved Rudolph invited him in. And said, your weakness can be a strength. And everybody wants to live in a story like that. You see, the scandal of redemption is the redemption of scandal. Christmas reframes God as the original Seeker. He is the one who comes to look for those that no one has ever looked for. And Christmas says, nothing is too hard for God. And no one is too far from God. We were reminded of that last week at our 10 o'clock service, many of us witnessed the baptism of Alyssa Wilson, but I wanted everyone to see it. And with her permission, I'd like you to watch her baptism. Church, it's my privilege and honor this morning to introduce to you Melissa Wilson. She came on October 15th, and when she was pulling into the parking lot, Wade Weaver met her at her car, and she looked at him and she said, I'm an addict. Am I welcome here? And he said, yes. 
You see, on October 10th, she got her white tag, because that's the day that she's clean. 30 days later, she got her orange tag, 30 days clean. She stands before you today, 54 days clean. And when she told her mom that she wanted to be baptized today, her mom was so excited for her. But she also joked with her a little bit and said, so the atheist wants to be baptized, huh? You see, Melissa was never never an atheist. But when you think the one who made you doesn't believe in you anymore because of all the bad decisions that you've made, it's easy to just say that you don't believe in him. But the truth is she knew that where her life was needed to end. So much so that she tried to do that at one point. He even wrote suicide letters to folks, everything else. And Melissa, you were right that that life needed to end. But today you're seeing how that life can end in new life. Because when you came here, when you came here, you saw yourself as an addict. But Jesus says that you are a daughter of the one true king and you may be recovering from addiction but he will never ever let you go so I want to ask you in front of all these folks do you believe that Jesus is the son of God that he died on the cross and he rose again and in doing that he's paid for all of your sins past, present and in the future and today do you not only want to accept him as your savior but you want to submit to him as your lord for the rest of your life Because of that confession, I'm now going to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're not just getting your sins forgiven, but you're being empowered by His Spirit to bring heaven to earth now and to live into His kingdom now, forever and ever. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to baptize you. See, one thing the Christmas story does is it gets us to repicture ourselves and tell the truth. That we're not always who we pretend we are. The truth is we are all equally broken. And we can all be equally forgiven. Because all of us are offered this incredible invitation to let Jesus be our wisdom. So there was this scientist who won a Nobel Prize in the area of quantum physics. He was brilliant, and people invited him to come and give speeches. And uh, he would typically have a chauffeur so that he could be in the back seat and work on his message. And he had the same one time after time. And finally, the chauffeur said one night, Doc, I have heard your speech so many times, I could get up and give it. And the doctor said, there's no way you could pretend to be me. He said, I think I could. I'll bet you $100. And the doc said, you're on. They stop the car. The chauffeur puts on the doc's tux. And the doc puts on the chauffeur's driving clothes. And they go to the event. That chauffeur got up there. He delivered the doctor's speech verbatim. Frankly, with even more passion. And he got a rousing standing ovation. And the host was so thrilled. He said, we've got to take advantage of your presence. Let's ask some questions. (laughs) And the first question was, doctor... 
We've always uh, been confused by why the universe is matter and not antimatter. Do you think some of the recent studies in subatomic particle duality shed light on the conversation? He took a sip of water, looked straight at that man and said, that is the most foolish question I've ever heard. It is an insult to my brilliance. In fact, that question is so dumb, I'm going to ask my chauffeur to come up here. Because we, we learn early in life to pretend to be wiser than we are. The reality is, we need to look to someone else to be our wisdom. Wise people look to Jesus. He is the word to the truly wise. You see, on almost every topic where we consider the wisdom of the world... We hear things like, your net worth determines your self-worth. The wisdom of the world says, it's just fetal tissue in the womb. It has no inherent value. The wisdom of the world says you can sleep with and you can divorce around as much as you want. And it's not going to affect the kids and the families of the next generation. The wisdom of the world says your appearance and your performance decides whether or not you matter. The wisdom of the world says you're just a complex, evolved bunch of germs and the universe could care less that you exist. We look at this baby in the manger and we say, that's not true. That's not true. It is Jesus who tells us who we are. And why we're here, and why we matter, and what we're to be doing, and where we're going. Because He's not just our Savior, He's not just our Sovereign. Jesus is smart. And maybe, no, certainly, the day will come when those that were foolish enough to trust Him will be honored for their wisdom. Paul put it like this, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God, this plan that God would become a man, this plan that He would serve and love and give His life for us, this plan that His righteousness would be transferred to sinners so that sinners could be with God. This foolish plan is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And that is why... Wise men and wise women still do whatever it takes to find Jesus and worship Him. So would you bow your heads? I'll finish the prayer. I'd like you to start it. Where do you need wisdom? Where has the wisdom of the world let you down? The Bible says if you need wisdom, ask for it. So take a moment right now. Just ask for wisdom. And so, God, we live in this world that pretends to be so smart, and yet so much of the wisdom of this world is so bogus. Give us right now more courage to pursue your 
truth. Give us greater capacity to recognize the lies of the world that appear to be so smart. And most of all, give all of us greater willingness to be fools for Christ. And pray in His name. Amen.